This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Well, folks, thanks for tuning in to AOA today here on this Friday, July 1st. We're gearing up for that 4th of July holiday, that big celebration on Monday. But the markets are grappling with the big day yesterday. Of course, we saw the quarterly grain stocks report come out in addition to the final planted acreage. Soybeans popped yesterday on the acreage news, but that sell-off is continuing today. We've got red on the screen, pretty well down all the way in the grain markets. Nice move to the upside in livestock cattle trading, uh, several, uh, several levels higher. Today, we're going to talk about our suitor three just about those reports and what their longer term impact on our markets could be. We're also going to check in with Josh Linville, the vice president of fertilizer at Stone X, and talk about how that market has been developing given the volatility in the energy markets. And at the end of the show, well, those energy markets got a little cheaper in some places here over this past week and through the weekend as Sheets convenience stores have been selling E15 and E85 at steep discounts to introduce more drivers to those products. We'll talk to Robert White of the RFA here at the end of the show. Before we get into all of that, though, one place we have seen phenomenal demand for U.S. products is beef heading into Taiwan. Joining us today to talk about it is Joel Haggard. He's the senior vice president of the Asia Pacific region for the U.S. Meat Export Federation. He joins us from his hotel in Hong Kong live. Joel, thank you so much for talking to us today. Great to be here. Let's talk about how Taiwan has been adapting to U.S. beef. They have been very aggressive consumers. COVID kind of threw things for a loop. China taking U.S. beef through things for a loop. Joel, what are they doing with beef this year in Taiwan? Yeah, good question. I mean, as a preface, uh, let me say that you're, you're right on the mark there because last year, uh, the Taiwan buyers who have been, uh, they're very sophisticated and they've been buying beef from the United States uh, for 20 years. They know the cuts, the specifications, the exporters. They got a little bit caught out last year because China jumped into the market and China buys some of the same beef cuts that Taiwan does. And the Taiwanese buyers, they were kind of waiting. They thought maybe the, the China buyers would tail off. That never happened. And they kind of get left, left out on the cold. So this year they've jumped in big despite uh, the, this COVID wave that started in April, just about time, uh, just about the time that Shanghai locked down, Taiwan was opening up. Uh, but the beef buyings continued uh, unimpeded through this first half of the year. Jill, when we're thinking about meat exports or beef imports into these foreign countries like Taiwan, of course, there's two different ways to measure them. We can go with volume, total tons of beef imported, or we can go with value, the dollar of those beef imports. When you say Taiwan beef imports have been accelerating, is it on one of those conditions or are we seeing both grow to Taiwan? No, both are growing. I mean, Jan, Jan to April, U.S. beef exports to Taiwan are up 46 percent in volume and 85% in value. So they're paying more and they're buying more. So uh, this is really uh, this is really demand driven. And uh, yeah, it's been tremendous. Uh, now let's, let's not forget that this is year on year. Last year was a little bit down for the US, but we're on a record pace so far this year. That's fantastic. And thinking about Taiwan specifically, Joel, you work with folks from that region all the time. COVID policies, I know that have, has been really hard on tourism and the restaurant business. Are they starting to get easier throughout Asia or in Taiwan specifically? Yes. Well, in Taiwan, as I was mentioning, it, it was kind of off the international news. But again, just about the time that Shanghai went into lockdown, Taiwan authorities who had been on a zero COVID policy they just let go. Uh, they, they had too many cases and they they decided that it was worth it to just open up. Now, in terms of the borders, there's still quarantine going in and out of there. That makes it very inconvenient for short term business travelers such as myself to go in and then have to quarantine for a number of days. But uh, I think the trend is toward opening like uh, the rest of Asia. Well, with that opening coming throughout Asia, Joel, do you think a similar program is going to be followed by China as we get through this summer? Uh, well, that's uh, I, I'm not so sure about that. I think 
there there was a loosening announcement uh, earlier this week. China said it would drop the quarantine from 14 to seven days. That's a positive step. But seven days is still a long time to stay in a hotel if you're doing a three or four day business trip. So um, no one is expecting a change in that uh, policy, uh, at least through the fall. But uh, the fact that they made this recent step of reducing it to seven days is definitely a uh, step in the right direction. Yeah, positive movement, that's for sure, Joel. In the meantime, how is demand in China looking for both both U.S. beef and, of course, pork imports? Well, I think, look, I mean, there's it, it's been a rough uh, Q2 for, for China demand on uh, both, both beef and pork. Um, I guess there's some positive signs ahead. Uh, the lockdown, you know, the lockdown, of course, has ended. It, it hasn't bounced back uh, as fast as some people have thought. But again, this week, there were some new developments. They've relaxed some health code policies, meaning that uh, domestic travelers can travel around more. That should jumpstart a little bit the domestic business travel and all the, all the good demand that that generates. Um, so we are looking at a better second half on the beef side for demand. On the pork side, we've seen a phenomenal increase in the domestic hog price just in the last month, up 28%. That should be seen as a positive for imports, although it's still going to take a couple months to probably see anything in that regard. Joel, look around to the other nations there in Southeast Asia. Of course, we've got Vietnam, we've got Korea, we've got the Philippines, we've got Indonesia. Any of those others looking like they might be bright spots here through 2022? Uh, yes, I think all of those you mentioned should be good. I mean, uh, I, I'm really focused right now on Indonesia, where they have uh, a, a terrible outbreak of uh, FMD and lumpy skin disease. That's really uh, throwing a wrench into the beef market there. I think they're, I think we're going to be looking at uh, 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 reduced domestic supplies and thus more import demand. Vietnam is bouncing back. Same with the Philippines. They've opened up. Uh, my colleagues from uh, North Asia can travel to Southeast Asia easier than I can because I have to quarantine coming back. But for, for people traveling from Japan or Korea going into Southeast Asia and then uh, going back, um, there's no quarantine. I was in the Tokyo airport a couple of days ago. A lot of flights going uh, from, from Japan into Southeast Asia. That's a good sign. That is a good sign to see this business coming back. Joel, as you think through 2022, look out into 2023. Of course, hopefully COVID will continue going in the rearview mirror. Economically, how are the economies of Southeast Asia holding up after these last two years? I think the big thing on everyone's mind uh, here in Asia, and it's, it's, it's kind of a lagged response compared to what we're seeing in the U.S., but inflation is starting to be on the lips of consumers throughout Southeast Asia. It started first with a rise in the, the these producer prices, but now it's starting to be felt by the uh, by the population. So inflation is going to be a concern, something to watch. The U.S. dollar is very strong; that's something to watch. Um, but still, I think we had we've been through the worst of COVID this uh, first half of the year, and uh, yeah. for Southeast Asia, it was last year. I think uh, I, I, I'm going to remain positive going into 2023. There we go. Positivity, folks. Stick around. More AOA coming next. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. We have some exciting news to share. The National Corn Growers Association, along with AOA, are kicking off an all-new program called The Monthly Grind. Tune in on Tuesday, July 12th for our big kickoff. I'll be broadcasting live from Corn Congress in Washington, D.C., and will share all of the details surrounding the monthly grind. Make sure to listen to AOA on Tuesday, July 12th. It's a show you don't want to miss. Hi, I'm Secretary Tom Vilsack. In my 40-plus years of experience in the ag industry, I have seen firsthand the tremendous value and influence of the census of agriculture. A complete count of our farms, ranches, and the people who operate them that tells the story of U.S. agriculture. It highlights trends, needs, and the great impact agriculture has on every American, as well as folks around the world. 
Ag Census data also informs federal, state, and local decisions that will affect you and your operations for years to come. If you're an ag producer, no matter the size of your operation, urban or rural, and you did not receive the 2017 Census of Agriculture and did not receive other USDA surveys, you still have time to sign up to receive the 2022 Ag Census this fall. Every voice matters. To sign up or learn more, visit nas.usda.gov backslash ag census. Thank you. Chris Domine is a husband, father, an athlete, even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris's kidneys were failing. The doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant, you are going to die. Chris received a second chance, made possible by an organ donor. Your well-being changes from loss of hope to better times ahead. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference, bite by bite. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today, ladies and gentlemen. You know, over the past several years, we have seen global trade, we've seen commodity prices, we have seen energy costs all influence fertilizer prices quite volatilely. We've seen that really over the past year. Joining me today to bring us up to speed on that industry is Josh Linville. He's the vice president of fertilizer at StoneX. Josh, thanks for talking to us today. Hey, absolutely. Long time no talk. How you been? Not too bad, Josh. I tell you what, this urea market has been getting a little bit cheaper here over the past month or so. Why don't you fill us in? What's happening in urea? Yeah, so we talked out uh, values. It was around late March. And if you remember back, rewind the clock a little bit. I mean, there was just a lot of things that were going against the market. Uh, we were very fearful that we were going to lose all of the Russian exports around the world because of their invasion of the Ukraine. There was a ton of concern regarding Europe. Natural gas uh, flows from uh, going to there obviously come from us. There's a lot of fear that those are going to get cut off and so possibly see Europe stuff start to fall out. And so it was just a lot of fear, not to mention this build up into the spring. Since then, it's actually we finally started to see some bear factors roll in. Uh, Russian tons, while they're not going to their normal places, they are flowing to the world market. That helps supplies. Uh, Europe is still a little bit of a concern, but here in the U.S., you know, our cord acres are down from what they were originally expected to be. Our imports are a little bit higher demand was down a little bit. So just the combination of it, we finally started to see prices come off. If you look at where we are today versus where we were late March, we're not quite half of where we were, but it's down significantly. Yeah, it is. It's down, yeah, not quite half, but you know, we've had a good 30% drop in urea there at NOLA. And Josh, mm -hmm. you mentioned that Russian fertilizer tons are still making it out to the world. Is that because those were exempted from sanctions or just end users are willing to take the risk and buy them anyway? More though, end users are willing to take the risk and buy it. And when you look where a lot of the flows have been going, it, it's been to countries like Latin America, Brazil, uh, India has been a big buyer of them. Uh, these countries that are not part of NATO that are sitting there saying, listen, at the end of the day, we're going to take care of our people. And if I can go buy Russia tons and pay them with whatever currency I want to, and if I can get a discount on it, why wouldn't I do that? 
Right. I mean, food security is one of the driving causes for these countries here globally. And of course, we're seeing that impact the fertilizer trade as well. Josh, I know you have been highlighting the Chinese bans on fertilizer exports here for the past six months. We were hoping maybe we'd see those bans come off this summer. What's the chatter in the markets? Does it look like China might re-enter the export game? I, I'll tell you what, I have heard speculation anywhere from they're going to come back with a full tilt uh, export program any day now, all the way to people estimating that they are going to remain a non-exporter through June of 23. And I think that just highlights how difficult it is to get good, accurate information from China. And for a fertilizer market, when they are such a big player in the international export market, that's tough. I mean, we're trying to make market calls based on the country that gets very little information. Right. And so how do you do that, given the fact that's a 180 degree switch from we'll never export again to we're going to dump all of our excess on the market? That could cause some volatility. Josh, how do you plan for that? It's hard, right? I mean, it's one of those things. Volatility is still going to be the key. And that's something we've had a lot of people asking, like, well, we're going to see things uh, normalize. We're going to see things calm down. No, I, I don't think so. In fact, a lot of the numbers we look at now through, say, 2025 kind of point to a story that still remains in a lot of volatility. So I don't think these times are going away anytime soon. I, I think from the end of the day, uh, for the American farmer sitting there looking at it, yeah, there's a lot of factors that come into play. I think at the end of the day, you've got to take a deep breath, calm down a little bit, don't let the emotions start driving what your decision-making is, and just look at your operation and say, does this number work for my operation or not? You know, Does the fertilizer price co correspond with making money with December 23 uh, being whatever the price is today? You just got to look at it from your operation. Don't let all the world stuff cloud it. Just sit there and say, what is my end goal? What am I trying to accomplish? If it works, the answer is yes. If it doesn't, the answer is no. Right. And if the answer is no, you got to look around. You got to find some other solutions, find some other alternatives to that. And well, I guess as we're still thinking about urea, Josh, you touched on the high cost of natural gas into Europe. That high cost is continuing. Our, our natural, our, our fertilizer producers in Europe going to stay in operation if Russian gas gets cuts off and they're, they're just importing LNG from other places around the world? That's the fear, right? And that's why we're seeing their natural gas, the, the Dutch TTF, where I think the last time I looked, it was over $40 in the mid-BTU equivalent. That's a very, very healthy number. Now, we have seen operating rates drop there, uh, and this has been happening since the price went from single digits into the $40, $50, $60 range. Since that time, since this new fear where Russia claims that they're going to cut uh, natural gas flows by 40% to Europe, we've only seen one plan announce that they were going on a short-term outage. We've not seen other ones do it. Now, whether that be because they're still profitable because their byproduct output is still a very high premium, they can still make money, whether that's because the government is subsidizing the plant in some way, it's hard to say. But at the end of the day, we've, we're not seeing the major cuts like a lot of people have been expecting. Not that it's something we're not keeping an eye on that we don't think is going to happen, but we're just not seeing the follow through yet. Gotcha. The risk is still there. It just hasn't developed into practicality quite yet, it sounds like, Josh. Uh, correct. And that's the thing. With a market, it will trade on fear, but eventually it always comes back to the actual S&D. And so far, we're not seeing a major shift in the supply side over there. Well, Josh, look over at the UAN market with me, if you would, for a minute. We had the uh, ITC take a look at that market, decide that, yeah, it certainly seems like there might be some dumping from Russia and Trinidad and Tobago. Do we have a sense as to what these tariffs might look like that could put on fertilizer from those two countries? Yeah, if these things are uh, affirmed in the final determination, the, the hearings are coming up here fairly soon. Uh, I don't know the exact date, but I want to say it's in the next 34 and it's just a simple vote by the board to sit there and say, yes, we approve, or no, we don't approve. Unfortunately, if you look at these cases from a historical standpoint, um, these hearings are almost just a rubber stamp yes. Typically speaking, it's a very high yes vote from this point. Now, this one could be the exception. You know, Obviously, fertilizer prices are high. The situation is much, much different than the data that was shared to uh, put this case in front of the board. Um, you know, you've got politicians and midterm elections, and of course they want to stand up and fight for the little guy, so it's getting attention from a political standpoint. So there's a few more things that are driving into this that has a little bit of questionality of whether it'll be uh, a no vote or not. I'd say the chances are a little bit higher, but again, we're talking more than likely it's still to be yes, and the rates have been set high enough. If that happens, those tons are just not going to come here. Uh, they can go to a lot of places around the world rather than the U.S., all right. So that we're still waiting as to how that might shape out, shake out entirely. Josh, let's look ahead a little bit to the fall. 
crops got in late for a lot of places in the growing season as we're trying to plan for that uh, fall anhydrous usage. Is it still a little too early to get a sense on that market? Well, we're starting to finally hear some numbers that are coming out. Uh, it's not been widespread. We're hearing a few things in the south and the west, uh, a few numbers starting to pop up north and east. But uh, like I said, we're not seeing the widespread like what we would normally see. Unfortunately, these numbers are kind of guiding us to the point where I think a lot of the farmers, when they go to lock in their anhydrous the fall, don't be surprised if there's a four digit in front of or four total digits with it. It's going to be pretty healthy. It's going to be a high number. It's not reset nearly as much as what a lot of people have hoped for. All right. Okay. So that is under development. We'll see what's happening there. Josh, phosphate markets. What do you see developing in phosphates? Again, that is one of those things that if we were cut off from the rest of the world, if we were on our own island, we'd be sitting there seeing prices under a decent amount of uh, a weakness. We'd see a lot of uh, pressure, downward pressure on it. The springtime, I mean, again, we went into the spring expecting big corn acres. That's obviously been cut. I was surprised at how high the number was yesterday. But, again, it's still lower than what the original expectation was, and that means demand is down. We knew that farmers were going to cut back because of the high price. And then we've also saw a pre-plant season that was cold and it was wet. Or if you're in this wheat belt, very hot and dry. It wasn't conducive to getting stuff on. So all of that to sit there and say we think that inventory levels going into the summertime are higher than normal, which is a bearish event. But unfortunately, we are still part of this world market. And with questions still regarding Chinese exports, or in this case, lack of Chinese exports, that means this global market is much, much tighter. China is the single biggest producer. They are the single biggest exporter. And countries around the world that typically buy from China, with China gone, it's not like they sit there and say, well, I guess I'll go without this year. They're going to start looking around for alternatives. That means U.S. producers, if they can't find homes in the U.S., there are buyers in the world market saying, hey, if they don't want it, I'll take it. So, unfortunately, that's going to help keep those prices propped up as well. All right. We'll keep that put under the phosphate market as the global demand continues to stay strong. And then we'll just watch. I suppose, Josh, it's it, China's big moves will, will really affect that phosphate market. Yeah, it's a... I guess something at least to, uh, I don't want to say look forward to it because it's not exactly fun, but uh, it's definitely something to anticipate. Yeah, something to anticipate. Definitely worth keeping our eye on. Josh Linville, Director of, or excuse me, Vice President of Fertilizer over at Stonex. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today and fill us in on this volatile market. Hey, Pastor. Thanks a lot. Folks, stick around. We'll be talking with Arlen Suderman, also of Stonex. He's the chief commodities economist there. We're going to pick up on yesterday's reports, dig in to those details. Stick around for more AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. We have some exciting news to share. The National Corn Growers Association, along with AOA, are kicking off an all-new program called The Monthly Grind. Tune in on Tuesday, July 12th for a big kickoff. I'll be broadcasting live from Corn Congress in Washington, D.C., and will share all of the details surrounding The Monthly Grind. Make sure to listen to AOA on Tuesday, July 12th. It's a show you don't want to miss. Would you know what to do in a poison emergency? Would you know whom to call? Well, the answer is poison help. 1-800-222-1222. Poison help is a 24-7 government hotline staffed by poison experts. It's free to call and available in over 100 languages. Every second counts in a poison emergency. Don't waste it wondering who to call. Save poison help in your phone today. 1-800-222-1222. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. While the grain market is slipping lower on us here as we work through our mid-morning trade ahead of the three-day holiday weekend and after yesterday's big sell-off scene after the USDA reports. However, you look at yesterday's trade action and the ags uh, were really weaker as there's more macro-recessionary fears than it was about fundamentals yesterday. And that may remain the case until unless the fundamentals become strong enough to prove traders wrong. USDA's lower soybean acreage estimate on Thursday was a game-changer for the balance 
balance sheet, wiping out over 150 million bushels of production potential. Yet soybean prices follow corn, wheat, and most of the rest of the commodity and equity sectors lower. We're seeing soybeans now the downside leader here today with sharp losses there and corn and wheat futures seem to be following as well. There's really just a lot of uh, a lot of crumbling here in the soy complex this morning, following through on the confusing bearish reaction to a bullish seeding number. Wheat can hardly muster a rally despite dropping nearly $4.30 in the past six weeks. It seems like recession fear, again, is far outweighing the fundamentals. It's been risk-off. It continues with fund managers letting go of ag ownership. The livestock contracts are running into Friday's trade fully higher for the most part as the market catches some last-minute support ahead of the weekend. This is especially helpful for the lean hog and live cattle contracts, which have been depressed throughout the week. Again, corn prices trading mostly lower. That's probably going to allow the feeder market to continue to trade higher here today if this trend holds into our afternoon close. Right now, September corn down nine and three quarters, six nineteen. August beans down thirty-six and a quarter, fifteen twenty-four and a quarter. Bean meal, bean oil down sharply. Chicago wheat September down fourteen and a half, eight sixty-nine and a half. September KC wheat down seventeen and three quarters at nine thirty-four. September spring wheat down thirteen and a half, nine seventy-six and a half. I'm Jesse Allen. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA here today. Boy, yesterday USDA released two reports. Quarterly grain stocks came out and final planted acreage was released. And the markets are moving, certainly getting some those numbers digested and plugging them into the balance sheet. And we are seeing soybeans sell off today, wheat selling off today, corn also down on the day. A lot of red on the screen in the grains. Joining us to break down these market moves is Arlen Suderman. He's the chief commodities economist with StoneX. Arlen, thanks for joining us today. Well, they may be digesting them. I think they're puking them out uh, when looking at these markets and how they're reacting to them. Uh, I, I think this is a case where we're paying the price for uh, the algo-controlled com markets that we have with billions of dollars behind them with the computers. Uh, in the end, price is still a function of supply and demand, but sometimes we can go through periods when the markets trade illogically and it leaves managing the supply and demand up to the cash markets. And I think this is one of these times uh, we got worried about uh, recessionary problems yesterday and made it difficult, even after a very bullish uh, soybean acreage report, to sustain any type of a gains. We did some chart damage, and now we're paying the price for that chart damage across the board in the grain and oil seeds. Arlen, let's talk about that acreage shift in soybeans. That seemed to me, from my observation yesterday, to be the big surprise here on the report. How did it come in versus what you were expecting? Yeah, it really did, and it really comes back to the March report. Uh, the markets were shocked in the March 31 planning intentions report that uh, the corn acreage came in much smaller than expected, soybeans came in much higher than expected. And there was somewhat of an assumption in the industry, as we saw in the pre-report estimates for this report, that there would be a reversal of that, and there was, that I think it probably overdid it to the other side. And basically it comes down to this. When you, you, Most people are familiar with the political 
political polls. In other words, when there's an election coming up and they'll say candidate A has 53% of the electorate support plus or minus 3.5% because there's this range of margin of error, statistical margin of error within that. They pull 1,058 people, you may get 3% plus or minus type of a thing. So there's a range of possibilities. They give you a number and range of possibilities. Well, USDA uh, surveys 60,000 people. Not all of them actually return the surveys, but in other words, it's a much bigger survey, so you would expect a much more narrow margin of error, maybe a 1% or 2%, but that's still significant. And if that number tends to come out the bottom end or the top end of that range, and then the next survey it flips the other side, you can look like you have a big change there. Overall, um, the big shocker was the soybean acreage losing 2.6 million acres from what they indicated in March. Corn coming in higher, even though we know there was a lot of corn acres up in uh, Minnesota and North Dakota in particular that did not get planted. And, and a lot of that will probably show up in the resurvey that they do in the Dakotas and Minnesota in the month of July now that we're in July and to be reported in the August report. So I do expect that in August in the crop report, we will see lower corn acres and higher soybean acres, but not enough of an increase in soybean acres really to offset the big drop that we saw yesterday. So this automatically removes about 150 million bushels worth of production potential from the soybean balance sheet and really leaves us in a situation that for both corn and soybeans, we really need to have good weather here over the next 45 to 60 days to make sure we get the crops we need to meet the anticipated demand for the coming year. That is so true. Arlen, you said something earlier that has just stuck in my brain. You said we're paying the price now for the, the large number of algos and computers that are trading in our markets. And I understand that they use headlines, they use a lot of complicated formulas in order to make their trades, but they also watch the charts very, very closely. And technical signals become so much more important when we're trading under algorithms. Just how bad has the chart damage been in the corn market and soybeans over the last two days? Well, it's it's been worse in the corn market, uh, although we're doing a lot of damage today. Um, it, the corn market's been kind of gone into a free fall, and soybeans are in danger of that as well, fundamentals aside. Now, the cash market will do its job. It will manage supply and demand, but that makes it very difficult for people trying to use the futures market in order to hedge their risk. That's on both the production side and the end user side. So it becomes very challenging. It starts to create problems for the basis market as well. Uh, and certainly nobody wants to step in front of a falling knife when it's falling. Now, once it once we do find a bottom and it does stabilize and we're falling through the 200-day moving average for a lot of these markets now, but once it does stabilize, you would expect to see a, a lot of end-user buying come in here, particularly since we do, do still have weather risk in place. I would also say that if we come back from the 4th of July holiday weekend and the weather models are hot and dry and there are some indications that may be the case, we'll have to see if that holds true, uh, if they're hot and dry, then we could see that by itself be enough to kind of flip things. Um, but if they're not, then we could see some continued liquidation uh, until this market time find some stability or something and momentum flips. A lot of the algos now trade momentum, which is included in those chart signals, etc. We've studied a lot of them. They're very similar in their nature that the different uh, trading firms use, and so it get, becomes a herd mentality, so they tend to overdo everything they do, both to the upside and to the downside. And that's what we're seeing now. Momentum on the charts has clearly went to the downside, so these computers are adding sell signals, just piling on. We've seen open interest really drop off dramatically in these markets. That's the number of trades that go on from day to day to day that stay in the market that typically your hedger, both on your producer side and your end user side, will have those positions in place and a long-term investor. Um, so open interest has dropped dramatically. Volatility excuse me, volume is up significantly. So more and more of these markets are being controlled by day trading algos that are in and out in the same day.
All right. All right. Yeah, that definitely moves the markets in a volatile way. Arlen, we also had the quarterly stocks report come out yesterday, and a lot of folks were just kind of waiting to see what USDA was going to say on stocks. In corn, any big surprises? <laughs> yeah, I laugh because, uh, yeah, that's where we normally get our surprises, our market-moving surprises, especially in corn, as you said. And if you look at corn, soybeans, and wheat, they were all within 5 million bushels of the average trade guess. I don't remember a time in my 40 years in the industry of seeing such a tame, neutral quarterly stocks report where everything came out just as expected. Um, so that, that was a surprise in and of itself that we would get something so close to what the average trade guesses were and, and very close to what my anticipated guesses were as well for the stocks report. So that was maybe one of the biggest surprises of all. So that leaves the focus on acreage um, and what adjustments we'll have in acreage going forward and on weather from a fundamental standpoint. Eventually the market will trade it. It's just not trading it right now. That's the truth. Now, Arlen, you mentioned the cash market is going to continue to do its thing. It is working here regardless of the volatility in the futures market. On the cash side, recently, how has basis been performing in corn or in beans? Are we still seeing it stay strong through the countryside? We have. Now, it's not across the board. There are some areas where they have adequate supply relative to the demand, um, but it's, it's overall had those firmer tones to it. As we, as end users, that's both on domestic and the export, have been trying to acquire the supplies they need and the coverage they need. And I think one of the areas that we're watching most closely where we may end up the tightest is on old crop soybean stocks. It's really going to hinge on what we see in the way of Chinese buying come forward. They've been relying a lot on their reserve supplies, trying to get them through this high price period. Now those prices are coming down. They only have about 60% of their August needs and almost virtually none of their September, only 5 or 10% of their September needs covered. So they're going to need to buy a lot of soybeans coming up. And so the question now on this price break, will we see them go ahead and come in? If they do, that could further tighten those old crop supplies. Uh, and that may be one of the more interesting dynamics if it occurs here over the next 60 days. Arlen, one of the challenges with getting those export partners to pull the trigger on some U.S. purchases is the strength of the U.S. dollar. We're trending here right now at just about 20-year highs in the dollar. Do you see that strength continuing? Unfortunately, it may continue because uh, right now we're the ones raising interest rates, and even though we may be raising them too slow to tame inflation, we're doing it faster than the other major economies out there we're competing with. Um, and so that makes our currency more of a safe haven currency right now with the uncertainty in the world, particularly with Europe and Japan. <clears throat> where there, Japan has no interest in raising rates. Europe is going to finally raise it in July uh, for the first time, but that'll still leave them in negative territory for interest rates. So that brings a lot of foreign money into the U.S. and raising demand for the dollar. That's particularly a problem for wheat and for the proteins for the meat exports. Indeed it is. Those higher prices definitely create some troubles there. Arlen, in this week ahead, post-4th of July holiday weekend, are there any big events you're going to be watching for in these markets? I think the big thing is the weather, and from a fundamental standpoint, which will eventually drive these markets, it's going to come down to what kind of weather pattern do we have for corn pollination for soybean pod set. Corn pollination is going to be later and more compact this year, so we're really watching that late July, early August period. All right, folks, keep an eye on the corn out there. This was Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist with StoneX. Arlen, thanks for joining us and for sharing your insight. Thank you. And folks, stick around. We're going to talk to Robert White, the Vice President of Industry Relations at the Renewable Fuel Association, about a deal going on for E15 and E85. Stick around for more AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. 
Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track, no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. We have some exciting news to share. The National Corn Growers Association, along with AOA, are kicking off an all-new program called The Monthly Grind. Tune in on Tuesday, July 12th for our big kickoff. I'll be broadcasting live from Corn Congress in Washington, D.C., and will share all of the details surrounding The Monthly Grind. Make sure to listen to AOA on Tuesday, July 12th. It's a show you don't want to miss. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. The archaeological record suggests that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 BC. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the king of Poland for saving Austria from Turkish invaders, the baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Egg Network. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. 
information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Thanks for joining us today for AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Yesterday, President Joe Biden was uh, at a press conference and he was asked a question about how long high gas prices might persist. And President Biden said Americans will have to stomach high gas prices for, quote, as long as it takes to beat back Russian President Vladimir Putin in Ukraine. However, some drivers across the country and increasingly more and more drivers across the country are finding ways they can lower that pain at the pump by incorporating biofuels. Joining me today is Robert White, the Vice President of Industry Relations at the Renewable Fuel Association, and he's talking about something that really celebrates biofuels right now at Sheets Convenience Stores. Robert, tell us, what are they doing? Well, thanks for having me, Mike, as always, and it's very exciting that Sheets now has over 350 stations across multiple states out east that are doing an E15 and E85 promotion. It started back on Monday, will run until the 5th of July. They've discounted E15 to $399, which their average fuel prices out there are somewhere around that $460 all the way to $495 a gallon range. And they also dropped their E85 down to $349. So as you can imagine, there are tens of thousands of new news outlets across the country trying to figure out what unleaded 88 or E15 is and what E85 is and can my vehicle use it. So it's been really uh, wonderful for the ethanol industry to get that boost in notoriety and at the same time highlight the economic advantage of ethanol compared to gasoline. Absolutely. And for those of us who live in the Corn Belt, it's very common to pull up to a gas station nowadays and see E15 or E85 on offer. Robert, when you look at the states out east, and of course, Sheets is basically Ohio and eastward, if I understand correctly, how common are these biofuel blend pumps out there? Well, they're, they're starting to grow more and more because we're seeing what we had hoped would happen, right? We get the Sheets the to offer E15 and E85, and if their competitor across the intersection doesn't, well, they're probably going to lose some customers, especially this last week around these sheets locations where uh, they are discounting uh, their neighbor, their neighboring station by sometimes up to 90 cents a gallon. So that will get retailers' attention, that will get consumers' attention, and we're seeing it through our website, through our social media accounts. People are curious. They're they want to know if they can save that additional uh, amount per gallon because a lot of consumers, unfortunately, are making some very difficult decisions, ahead, not only through the summer, but especially ahead of this holiday weekend. Yeah, that's true. Just dollars aren't going nearly as far as they used to. The ability to save some money on products you have to buy, which is fuel to get to where you're going, is so crucial. Robert, when you're getting questions on social media from folks who maybe this is the first time they're encountering biofuel blends like this, what are they curious about? Well, first and foremost is, can my vehicle you know, safely use this product? And we have you know, great data. We have uh, six million miles of testing by the Environmental Protection Agency before E15 was approved, ironically, a decade ago now. It's already been 10 years. Uh, so we have that data. We have 55 billion miles by consumers on E15 over the last decade. And we've had recent testing by the California Air Resources Board. Again, no issues whatsoever using E15 in 2001 in newer vehicles. And that's a great backdrop, backstop, if you will, of showing the consumers that this fuel is highly tested. It's not something we just dreamed up and threw in a, a fuel pump uh, at the local station. This is the most tested fuel perhaps in history, and they have an opportunity to use it in cars up to 21 years old now and save some money while they do it. Absolutely. And as you think about how this appeal is growing in 2022, given the high price of fuel, I understand that we had approximately 2,600 stations selling E15. Robert, are you fielding more queries about new retailers looking to add it here in this environment? Absolutely. Uh, there is no doubt there is high interest right now, ironically, in both E15 and E85. Uh, but the problem is is the same as it is in nearly every industry right now, Mike. Supply chain issues, if you order an underground storage tank right now, not only do you have to pay the full price for it right now, but you're probably waiting 18 to 24 months for that tank to arrive. So even if these new builds, these new stations want to do something with E15 or E85, 
there's probably going to be a lag time unless they're already fortunate enough to have the equipment on site ready to go with some small with some small alterations. Robert, I'm curious, you work with the industry, you work with retailers. As these pumps get put in, as new consumers use E88, or excuse me, E15 for the first time, that unleaded 88 or E85, what are their reactions afterwards? Do we find most of them come back and try that blue pump again? Yeah, it's, it's, it's what's great about it, Mike, is that there is really no impact. They feel it the same way. Uh, there's no difference, really, in their fueling experience. More often than not, they don't notice any fuel economy issues, and they, they're saving money at the pump. So I, I think the biggest hurdle we have as an industry, as the retailers have, is to get them to try it that first time. And that's why we've done so many pump promotions over the years, and that's why Sheets is doing this. They, they want consumers to try E15, or if they have a flex fuel vehicle, try E85 for the first time, because they're very confident if they hook them once, they will be a repeat customer. And again, if the neighboring retailer doesn't have it, they know they're theirs. Absolutely, folks. If you're planning any drives this weekend and you haven't used biofuels, give it a shot. Pull into your local retailer, see what kind of biofuel blends are on offer, save yourself some money, get that great performance. Robert, thank you so much for talking to us. This is a really exciting promotion. It will be neat to see what kind of activity this promotion gets started here on the East Coast for E15 and E85. Thanks, Mike. Have a great holiday weekend. You do the same, folks. And I just wanted to read Sheets President and CEO Travis Sheets had a statement about the promotion. He said this was something that we wanted to do. It was an opportunity, we thought, to give back and also to drive some awareness around these alternative fuels that we think are great options for people. Folks, AOA will be repeating some of our episodes on Monday's show because it is the 4th of July holiday, but do be sure to tune in. We'll be talking to Dennis Smith, Tanner Bramer, Tim Bluebaugh, and Tim Youngman, excuse me, Matt Youngman. And then on Tuesday, we'll be back with the live show once again. We'll see you then for more AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. We gather together in communities across the nation to remember and honor, to celebrate and support, to light the night. Join us as we lift our lanterns high in order to move toward a world free of blood cancers. Join us as we light the night for a loved one. Join us. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Our mission is to cure leukemia, lymphoma, Hodgkin's disease, and myeloma. Our aim is to improve the quality of life of patients and their families. Join us. We are LLS, and when we walk, cancer runs. Join your community and help bring light to the darkness of cancer. Join us as we light the night. Find your local event at lightthenight.org. That's lightthenight.org.